Welcome to The Checkup, the Colorado Health Institute's podcast on health and health policy in Colorado. I'm your host, Jackie Zubricki. It's December and open enrollment is in full swing. People are buying health insurance for 2019. Maybe you get your insurance through work, in which case you probably had to fill out some forms and pick between a few options. Maybe you have public insurance and have gone through the process of signing up for Medicaid or Medicare. Or maybe you're one of the tens of thousands of people who will purchase health insurance through Connect for Health Colorado, Colorado's health insurance exchange. That was me in 2016. What insurance you have matters a lot for your healthcare options. It's a big decision. And in the last year, there have been a lot of policy changes and proposals, especially at the federal level, that could really affect people who are buying insurance on the exchange. We decided to take some time to talk with Kevin Patterson, the CEO of Connect for Health Colorado, about some of these changes and just about the exchange and what they do. We covered a lot of ground in this conversation, including how Connect for Health Colorado is reaching out to rural communities and those who might not have access to the internet, why they're concerned that some immigrant families might not be getting the care or insurance they need, and how Colorado compares to other states. Here's Kevin. So, Kevin, you're the director of Connect for Health Colorado. Can you tell us a little bit more about what Connect for Colorado is, its history, and kind of where it stands in 2018? Sure. So, uh, Connect for Health Colorado is Colorado's health health marketplace. And so, what we do is we administer the tax credits that people typically take advantage of out of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, Interestingly enough, you know, the idea of Connect for Health Colorado actually came out of the 208 commission, they called it. Uh, This came out under the Republican former governor, Bill Owens, who was just trying to find ways to have a conversation around the state about how do you address high costs for health insurance, um, especially uh, outside the metro area. Uh, So the commission uh, was created. Uh, There was a Blue Ribbon report that came out towards the end of his administration and right before uh, governor former governor Ritter took over there were 32 recommendations that came out of that report one was uh, creating this connector so that people could shop and see what they could purchase uh, online for health insurance and so um, fast forward governor Ritter came in he had a health agenda Uh, there was this affordable care act thing that came out Um, and everybody said, well, why don't we use this idea of a connector to build our state-based marketplace and we can have our own state-based exchange and do this in a Colorado way. It it really was uh, an idea that they wanted to have local control over these kinds of decisions and how it was, how it would be implemented. So then, uh, governor, almost former governor, uh, Hickenlooper, uh, came, uh, into power. And, uh, the next thing you know, we were talking as I was part of his administration about the health exchange and creating it and the legislation came came forward and here we are today with a state-based marketplace that we've been operating uh, since that first open enrollment uh, and every year making more improvements for customers and you know since i've been here the last three and a half almost four years really being focused around improvements that make the customer experience better while we try to make ourselves more compliant with federal rules and audits and all that other fun stuff nobody likes to talk about, but we are very much in charge of dealing with. 
Yeah, and so this is, we're in 2018, this is the fourth or fifth open enrollment This is enrollment open enrollment season. number six. Open enrollment number six, great. So in those six years, a lot of policy changes have been coming up that have affected the market in different ways, and really just the last couple of weeks have seen a lot of changes that affect the marketplace. Yeah, we've um, noticed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so the first one that I wanted to ask you about is this change to the individual mandate. So that's this idea that if you don't have health insurance, you need to pay a tax penalty. Um, and so 2019 is going to be the first year that um, we've had these exchanges and we don't have a penalty. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about how um, what you're thinking about that change? Are you seeing any changes in enrollment that, about that penalty? So, you know, when uh, the Kaiser Family Foundation was looking at this earlier, you know, they were making an assumption that somewhere around 8% uh, marketplace enrollment might be impacted because of the uh, impact of the penalty. And, you know, I, I, I think, you know, what we were thinking before open enrollment started is, um, you know, we, we weren't expecting a huge hit because of uh, the penalty. We were figuring two, one, two issues. One, the penalty wasn't really large. And so uh, I don't know that it was driving a, a whole lot of change in that. I, mean, I think some people were seeking insurance and saying, okay, I'd rather not pay the 695 or whatever the percentage worked out for them. Uh, but they also, we were seeing just people knew that they needed insurance. And so they were making the decision to shop because they, they figured they needed to, to make sure they had health insurance. Sure. So, you know, what we've seen this year, um, you know, there's nothing empirical I can point to that says exactly this is the percentage that moves, but we're seeing about six to eight percent increase in enrollment uh, as a result of what we've seen this year as over last year in plan selections. Um, now, some of it could be because we silver loaded and, and that has actually made the, the silver plans even more affordable in some of the bronze plans. Uh, you know, you can get them from zero to $50 for two thirds of the folks that are shopping. So I think it's really about the price point yeah. uh, for folks that are needing insurance. And um, just so I think a lot of our audience will know what silver loading is, and I know it's a bit complex, but if you had to explain it to someone who was like, what, what's that? I, I think the easiest way to, to understand it is a lot of the, since our second lowest cost silver is where we index uh, what the tax credit is. If if we load the rate on silver, that means there's more tax credit available for folks as a result of how we do that indexing. And so that just means there's more financial assistance available. And so for folks that come in, if you're looking at a bronze, silver, gold plan, you know, for bronze, that's the, t the metal tier that has uh, a lower premium, probably more out-of-pocket costs, but for a lot of folks, if, if that's what you can afford, that's a great option. Yeah. And for a number of folks, they're getting $0 premiums because the tax credit allows them to shop and, and get a screaming deal, as we like to say. Yeah, I will be curious to ask maybe early in the year how many people do wind up paying $0 for their health insurance because that seems pretty magical. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're seeing $0 bronze yeah. and even in a few instances, just depending on, you know, family size and what you uh, what your income is, we've seen a few $0 silvers coming oh, wow. through the door as well. And so it, it's a it's a great opportunity, I think, for people to make sure that they just look and, and shop because we know that that's what's going to be most important for folks. Yeah. So I want to ask a little bit more about that enrollment sure. later. But first, I wanted to going back to these federal policy changes affecting the exchange. So um, 
this is the first week of December, and last week there were a couple different things that came out from the federal government that might affect health insurance exchanges. So I was interested in this guidance that said that people might be able to use that tax premium to pay for um, plans that aren't qualified or aren't compliant with the Affordable Care Act, which would be a big change. Yeah, I, I do think that that is something we do have some concern about. You know, what we want to make sure people have are plans that have the essential health benefits. And so what we don't want to see is people coming in and thinking that they, they're covered for certain things, and then they find out later, oh, I got this great deal, but maybe I didn't get all that I thought I bought. Sure. And so we just want to make sure that folks understand exactly what they're buying. And so for us, it, it's, it's about having that essential health benefit, making sure they buy the right level plan for them. And we think because of silver loading, it, it gives folks a lot more affordability this year than they didn't have last year. And so for us, that seems to be the best policy that we can approach uh, that with right now. And so I, I don't think that's something that we necessarily are advocating or looking to take advantage of, but we certainly understand that for folks, you know, affordability is an issue, especially for folks that are outside of uh, Metro Denver, where you don't have the same kind of competition and access. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the cost of health insurance outside of Denver is something that we've heard a lot about in the last couple of years. I know that the price of health plans has gone down for, for some people, but um, it, health insurance is still expensive mm -hmm. for a lot of folks. Um, and yeah, so I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what you think we're going to be seeing in 2019 with costs. Um, any efforts to address that that you think we, uh, our listeners should know about? Yeah, for, for our perspective, you know, we're just the window in, in which you see that cost uh, when you buy the health mm -hmm. insurance. Um, and so what we what we do doesn't necessarily impact price. We're just trying to be transparent so people understand what those costs are and why they're paying them and, and what the impact is for their own pocketbooks and households. I, I do believe that I, I would expect to see legislation in this next session coming up to really address some cost issues coming from other stakeholders and interested parties out there. I, I think those things will be uh, what we will be watching as well. And I think, you know, you have to just figure out what's driving the cost and, and try to make sure that the policies and, and perhaps uh, new legislation will really address what's what's pushing those uh, levers to, to make that cost higher. And, you know, we've had now another cost commission, and I think they are going to be leaned on to really help advise policymakers on what things they need to do to try to drive those costs down. And we, we just will reflect those in what, what carriers charge in terms of rates. Mm -hmm. So something that's on the mind of a lot of people um, in the world of health, but beyond that, is this potential change to something called the public charge. Um, and so that's this idea of um, how people use public programs and services like Medicaid um, and how that might affect their immigration status. Mm -hmm. um, so I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about um, what Connect for Health Colorado is seeing or any of your thoughts on this potential change to the public charge rule. Sure. So, uh, you know, we're finalizing our comments. We've had a couple of conversations uh, internally and, and with our board who wanted to make a pretty strong statement uh, in opposition of, of this rule. I, I think uh, it, it has served to mute uh, folks seeking assistance where they probably should, especially around health disparities and um, 
people not not wanting to even go into emergency rooms. I've heard uh, stories just yesterday when I was out in Aurora doing another event, hearing from an assistance network uh, health coverage guide who was saying, you know, people are, are saying they're not going to go home for the holidays because they're afraid they're going to get stopped coming back. Um, and, you know, it, it, we think that it's, um, it's, it doesn't apply to the tax credit, and we want to make sure that that's clear, but I do believe that the fear that it strikes in people so that they don't get health um, services could cause other kinds of issues within our communities that we really don't want to deal with. And so I, I think it's something that we're speaking out against uh, because it, it is just an issue that you've got to be able to provide that health care for, for folks. And, and to have them in fear of that is, is just something that we don't feel comfortable Yeah, doing. and I actually hadn't even realized, I had thought about this in terms of Medicaid, but I hadn't really realized that people also were thinking that just taking advantage of the tax credit um, could potentially take away their ability to get. When, a, when you're dealing with fear, people won't want to take a risk. Yeah. And so even though you will tell them that, they're like, well, I'm hearing this. And and so the misinformation gets out there. And when it's fearful mm-hmm. information, it spreads like wildfire. And it's really hard to contain it. And, and so this is what, I mean, I literally just heard this yesterday. And it just stopped me in my tracks because I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is what's going on. And so we, we think that it's something that we would just want to make sure people – call us, make sure we'll get you the right information, but we understand why people would be concerned and they may not want to take that that risk, but we're, we're just trying to make sure they have the right information. And just one more clarifying question on that. So is um, the way that rule change is written, um, are the tax credits something that could affect someone's immigration? The, the, way that, the way that we read it, the answer is no. But I think what happens is um, people, you know, the, the tax credit is a part of the continuum of eligibility. So you could move from Medicaid, you get a job, you go to Medicaid expansion, you take extra hours or you get a promotion, you can move to the tax credit. Well, that's great if you stay on the tax credit, but if your hours drop down or you just happen to take a job for the holidays, you go back to Medicaid, folks are nervous about moving back and forth depending on where they fall on the eligibility uh, continuum. And so that's why I think people get really nervous about it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, And so just switching a little bit back a couple of years Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, and thinking about the creation of um, the exchange. So we know that Colorado's um, uninsured rate has really been going down in recent years. in uh, 2017, I think we saw, like, wow, we've got the lowest uninsured rate we've had. Um, And some of that was uh, maybe on the marketplace, but a lot of that actually wound up being because of Medicaid expansion. Mm -hmm. When I looked at those numbers, I was kind of struck by the fact that, wow, we've got this new marketplace, but we haven't really seen a huge, huge growth in uh, individual insurance. So um, maybe that was just me who was surprised, but I wonder, could you talk a little bit about what we saw after the introduction of the marketplace and some of these ACA changes? Sure. I I think uh, there's a number of factors that that fall into that, but I think there are two, maybe three most important. One, uh, Medicaid expansion let us know that our citizens maybe were a little poorer than we thought uh, because it's all based on federal poverty level. And so there were a number of people that fell into the Medicaid expansion number, and that number was a lot larger than I think a lot of people anticipated when we 
when we saw some of the initial um, estimates. So that's one piece. Um, two, you know, we see a number of people that are above uh, the Medicaid expansion, but they can't quite, you know, you have to project your income. And so if you're projecting your income and you're at 350 percent of poverty or above, you might not sign up for the advanced tax credit because if you if you a lot of your revenue comes in in that last quarter of the year, you don't want to take the chance of making too much and then having to pay the tax credits back. So you don't want to you know go out seeking health insurance and get a tax bill. So I, I think we have a number of people that do that and they're, and they're probably really small, you know some or a company of one, maybe two they're doing something that they've left a job somewhere else, they come to Colorado because they love the quality of life and they're working kind of independently. So I hear a number of folks that, that do that. I think the third one is we have a number of small companies, and I mean 10 or fewer, who can't afford to actually pay for employer-sponsored care because they can't kick in the percentage that it would require for a group plan. And so you've got folks that are working but don't think that they actually qualify for anything. They might think that, well, they hear about this Medicaid thing, but they don't hear about us as much because, you know, we're just a smaller subsection of the health market. And so, I mean, I've talked to people, whether they be at breweries, restaurants, um, small independent shops that just don't understand that, you know, they might move up from Medicaid expansion, but they don't know that they need to come to us for the for what we do on the marketplace. And so I, I think those three reasons is probably why we see a little bit muted in terms of the number of people on the exchange. But I think we, you know, we're gonna work a lot more closely with smaller businesses to see if we can get them to kind of come in and at least get their folks on the individual market so that they at least have access to coverage. Great, that makes sense. Yeah, so um, thinking about enrollment for this year, I did buy my insurance on the exchange a couple years ago, um, and it was a very useful thing to have. I was freelancing at the time and didn't have insurance through work. Um, I did find that there were a lot of steps to go through and just it was a new system for me. What, like, what is Connect for Colorado? What is, what is all this? So I wonder if there are any steps you've been taking to kind of um, address that confusion that people can sometimes experience when they're trying to figure out how to get uh, insurance. Sure. So I, I think a couple of things are, are important to do uh, to, to bring to folks' attention here. One is what we do, it, I think when you come from employer-sponsored care where you're used to getting your insurance at work and you come to the individual market, you're typically going from maybe a handful of choices, four to five perhaps, uh, in terms of your options to, you know, this year we've got 124. So that can be a little bit overwhelming for folks to say, okay, how do I even begin to figure out what I'm looking for? So unless you, you know, you know which carrier you're looking for, you know you've got a particular doctor, you know you've got a particular formula or something on the formulary that you need to have as a prescription, it's really hard. Um, and so what we've done over the past few years is have a quick cost plan finder tool which can help you identify if you're looking for uh, a particular doc, a particular prescription, we can make sure that the plan you're looking at actually include those things. If you don't know where to start, it also can help you say, are you a low, medium, high user of healthcare? We can perhaps give you some suggestions on where to start. So you can kind of winnow down the number of choices to those that make the most sense for your circumstance. And this is like an online tool that you're yeah, it's describing? A, yeah. It's an online tool where you can just anonymously shop just to kind of ask 
just some real basic questions of how do I get started? Sure. So we've won a couple of awards by having this tool, so we're really proud uh, of that. So that's that's issue number one. This year, uh, the second thing that we've done is we've worked with our federal and state partners to actually simplify the eligibility process for the tax credit. Now, this was a process that was quite complicated, I think, for folks, especially coming in as we did Medicaid expansion, because you had to get a hard Medicaid denial before you could shop on the exchange. And a lot of folks were like, well, I'm not applying for Medicaid. I don't understand what this is about. Mm. And so we tried to make this a, a little more customer focused and say, hey, let's just ask you some questions up front. Let's see which way you're supposed to go. If, if you stay on our side for the tax credit, okay, we can just get you to shopping by ask, asking fewer questions. But if you have to go the Medicaid route, there's just other questions that Medicaid is required to ask you. And so what we try to do is just ask as few questions as possible up front, get people to able, able to shop that actually qualify for the tax credit so they can move on with their day. And if you need to go through because you, you got CHIP or Medicaid, that's fine we can still get you there and we can actually help you with some of our additional assistance for folks that, for sometimes you, you've got the kids that qualify for CHIP and the adults that qualify for the tax credit. Right. And the rules are different. And, yeah. and we expect people to know all these things off the top of their heads and I think it's just kind of crazy. So what we try to do is make sure we've got a team of folks that can actually walk people through that process and make sure they get the eligibility correct up front, and then they can move on with their lives. Sure. Yeah. And so these are things that in those first couple years of open enrollment, you were seeing people experience that. And over time, you've identified where some of those problems yeah, have it, popped up. It was really clear when I got here where people were getting stuck. Sure. Uh, and those mixed households, as we call them, where there's CHIP and APTC in the same household, it's completely confusing. And, you know, how they define households, you're using the same word, but they're using them very differently. And then there's the tax household, which is another right. way to think about it. And so I, these aren't words that people use in their normal conversations at the holiday party, right? <laughs> and so we just try to make sure that we put the kind of information out there so people can actually understand what decisions that they need to make, how they need to look at those things, and what impacts they have on them. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Um, so I want to ask one or two more Colorado questions sure. and then kind of zoom out to put what you guys are doing here in context. Um, so we have a new governor coming uh, into office pretty soon here. Um, and there's been a lot of conversation about this idea of Medicaid for all or some kind of like more universal health care. That was um, a theme um, in the Polis campaign. Mm -hmm. um, and I just wonder, looking ahead, do you see a role for something like Connect for Colorado um, in that kind of vision? H how do you see that all kind sure. of coming together? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot I've heard the, the governor-elect talk about. Uh, I think, you know, there's this question of the public option, you know, whatever we're going to call it. Right. Um, you know, some states have done this uh, with a, a state exchange as part of the delivery system. So I certainly would see an opportunity for us to kind of talk about what we've learned by working with, with citizens and customers and carriers uh, around the things that work really well and what things might be challenges. Uh, but I also think that I've heard the governor talk about reinsurance, uh, which is also an opportunity to really begin to talk about how do we begin to drive down the cost and get the right amount of, of uh, money into the system because we, you have to have enough premium to pay the claims. And so it's just it's, it's a balancing act uh, that we have to do there. And, and I do believe that there are opportunities that we can also participate in that conversation. So I actually look forward to engaging with the new administration about some things that we've seen in other states, some things that we've talked about with other stakeholders uh, that we've been engaged in, in our state. So I think there's a lot that we can add to that 
that conversation. Yeah, and reinsurance is this idea of sort of insuring insurance companies. Um, so when they have um, high cost patients, they um, they are sort of protected from some of those um, variations. But yeah, that's great. And is there anything else just like looking forward to like the healthcare scene in Colorado that you, you're really, that's really on your mind right now? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're really trying to find ways that we provide additional service and leverage for uh, rural parts of the state as well in the, in the western slope. And whether that's opportunities to find if we can provide direct service for, for the exchange in mountain communities so that they don't always have to come to Denver to get a question answered or, or provide the, the service. Uh, we've talked to Division of Insurance about perhaps looking at ways that we can, uh, oh, what's the right word, um, that we can have a good metric around uh, reimbursement rates for providers. And can we leverage inefficient or small markets so there's better buying power for these smaller communities? Because it's tough when you're in La Plata County and you've got an individual market, you've got a small group market, you've got a little bit of a large group market, but they're all fighting for the same services at the hospital. Can we band those together and give them a little more buying power and, and maybe have the exchange participate in that? Interesting. Uh, can we help with uh, providing public employees a shopping experience as, as we've done, as other, other states have done? So I think there's just other opportunities that we have to, to help provide some additional benefit that a shopping platform can, that we use can, can um, identify and, and help people. Yeah, and actually, I did. I did wonder, thinking about rural Coloradans, or I'm, I'm wondering about people who might not have access to like the internet that you need to kind of get started on some of this shopping. Are there particular like groups of of people or um, particular areas where it's been a little bit harder to help them access the in exchange? You know, um, that's a great question. I do believe that we have digital divides for a number of our mountain communities. Hmm. Um, what we think makes sense is is the way that the state has looked at it as well as a hub and spoke. And so while we may not be able to get to uh, Rangeley as easily or Dinosaur as easily as we can get to Steamboat, if we can get to Steamboat and provide a service there, as people kind of come in from the county into town, we want to be just one of those stops that they're making as they're kind of coming into town for everything else that they're doing when they're doing their business. And, and, and then they can go back to their more rural community. And, and, and we think that we can make that more convenient for folks. Yeah, um, that's great. Yeah, and so just thinking about how Colorado's marketplace um, you know, not every state even has something like Connect for Health Colorado. Other states have it, but it might look a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that enrollment is looking different in states across the country right now at the end of 2018. Um, so yeah, anything that we should know about sort of how Colorado um, enrollment is comparing to um, across the country, how other other things about that make Connect for Health Colorado unique? Yeah, I, I think we have been really lucky to have uh, growth in enrollment this early, we've we've seen some of our highest uh, enrollment days this year, um, and I know other states are below some. Some are like double digit below last year. Some some that are state marketplaces, and some that are uh, 
federal marketplace states. Right. And so, you know, I think that the fact that we're able to work so closely with our communities on an ongoing basis, we talk to brokers, we talk to assistance network sites, we're talking to health coverage guys, we're talking to business owners, that allows us to make sure that we can craft something that actually works for them and meets their needs. And, and I think that makes a huge difference um, in, in this process. Yeah. Um, that's great. So I wanted to ask you something about your just personal perspective. I know that you were kind of in the world of education before mm -hmm. you were in health. Um, I wonder if there are sort of s things that you notice that are common or different between those two worlds of public policy and worlds of just... It's a good question. Yeah. Um, I, I think what's similar is everybody has a little experience with both. And so... Um, and people have opinions in both worlds, the education, education and the health policy world, that they hold very dearly. And it's hard to have an abstract conversation because it, it impacts them personally. You know, in education, it's their kids, it's their memories of when they went to school, it's their, it's their neighborhoods. In the health world, it's literally life and death. It's their family members. It's, it's some very personal story about what's going on with them. And so I get that it's hard to kind of completely divorce yourself and say, well, let's just have this very you know, uh, philosophical conversation about it. it. It's hard not to have it be a, quite a bit personal. Um, but I also think that there's the ability to make it where it's personal in a way that it actually makes great gains for people. And, and I think that's where we hope this conversation will continue to move because I think we can make things better for people. Uh, a lot of work has to happen. We just want to make sure that we continue to be uh, a critical part of that. Yeah. Um, so Kevin, thanks so much for sharing all this. A lot of complexity um, in these systems, but sounds like um, you're on track for some high enrollment numbers in 2019. So we'll be curious to see what you wind up seeing. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thanks. Thanks to Kevin Patterson for joining us. He's the CEO at Connect for Health Colorado. You can find more episodes of The Checkup at coloradohealthinstitute.org slash podcast. Coming soon, we'll feature some conversations from Hot Issues in Health, our annual conference, which is happening in the first week of December this year. In the meantime, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cohealthinst and follow us on Facebook. You can also subscribe to our newsletter, Sum It Up. Thanks for listening. I'm Jackie Zuberke at CHI.